Hello and welcome to What Memory, the podcast for survivors of stroke and brain injury. I'm Stephen Masters and I'm here with Josh Reed. We both had strokes. We want to share our experiences, find out how other people live with brain injury and investigate what's new in brain injury research. This is episode 18, Recognition. So what is new in brain injury research? To find out, we're joined today by clinical psychologist and researcher Madeline Hurd. She's been investigating one particular aspect of brain injury, namely, and I'm quoting the title of her empirical paper, the relationship between emotion recognition ability and general intellectual abilities in acquired brain injury. Full marks if you know what an empirical paper is, by the way. So, Maddie, I'm just um, interested in um, what your research was all about, really. What was the whole purpose of doing this stuff? Yes. So um, I was looking at people who had a brain injury and people who didn't, and I was assessing how their ability to recognise emotions related to their ability to understand more general cognitive um, abilities such as how quickly you process information and your problem solving abilities that's the gist of it really okay okay <laughs> that's um that's a pretty so, much of a mouthful so let's break it down a bit yes, um yeah. so yeah so uh what exactly are you were you trying to benchmark what do you say called cognitive abilities yeah, so that's quite broad. So I was specifically yeah. looking at processing speed, so how quickly you can process information that's in front of you, understand the information that's in front of right. you. And then also something called fluid reasoning, which is your problem-solving ability. Um, so how you can put information together, figure out relationships in the information that's in front of you. Okay, and this is basically tied in with your ability to recognise an emotion. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's quite unknown how related those abilities are, our ability to recognise emotions and how quickly we can process and understand information. So I was looking to clarify whether they were um, related abilities because at the moment it's very unknown in the literature. I mean having experienced <laughs> like brain damage like I can definitely tell it's there or there's been an issue like I can definitely see that I have improved over the years and my sort of the reasoning but yeah I didn't really think about having a sort of detailed sort of look about oh okay well you have these before a stroke or a brain injury you have these after and how they sort of how it differs, I guess, as well. Yeah, I mean, and I seem to remember that it was all lumped into one thing, like you say, that my general cognitive abilities, such as they were in the early days, well, even now they're a bit slow, but um, the <laughs> idea that you could recognise emotion in other people or even in yourself, because I used to get quite hysterical in certain yeah. ways, so that there was a no filter on my emotions, but also... Oh, yeah. I now realise that there's there was no filter on what I was getting from other people. So I might just misread situations 
Yeah. And and they'd say something to me and I think, well, what are they what are they actually saying? Are they smiling? Is it is this funny or not funny? Or are they being serious or is it so that I couldn't read but I never thought there was a separate part of my brain. I I think it was all just lumped in with I'm just having a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> Which is I suppose where your research is sort of teasing that out as a separate thing, isn't it? That was the thing, like I so with my eyesight issues, I was like, oh, well, the reason I'm so finding it so difficult is because I used to see people's faces and be able to read them. I'm unable to do that at the moment. So that's probably why I can't tell if they're joking or smirking or what exactly they their facial expression is doing. I just have to listen to how they're saying it rather than looking, which I used to do all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what your experiences were, but I found that a lot of people after a brain injury, they you're not assessed for like your understanding of the social world and um, understanding not. emotions. Oh, no. Yeah, so that's that's why I sort of did the research to sort of argue that we should be we should be assessing for this too. Uh, okay, to yeah. yeah. Yes, I think the emotional side of, of the whole of all of, of something like a stroke or a brain injury, it kind of gets a bit lost in the all the other things that are going on. But actually, it's almost a kind of like a main pillar because I yeah. think if you if you lose that ability, you cannot read situations in the same way you probably can't read a cat. I mean, is a cat smiling? Is it happy? <laughs> you know, it, 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 for me, it, a lot of things were just a blank. Even when I was when people tried to explain to me in that kind of fake gravitas style of you know what had actually happened to me, I was thinking, is he joking? Is, he, is this a joke thing going on here, or is he being deadly serious? It was very strange moments, especially if I think probably the first couple of years actually I was like that. I could have poss possibly people would have said to me, "You're just not reading people at all," but that was just no. wrapped up in this whole. Well, I can't. I can't even cross the well, road, so I'm not going to worry about whether I can read read the emotional bit. Basically, it was so like a whole storm of things, and you know that's not something that really comes to the forefront because you're focused on. Well, I've lost the whole use of my right side, so that's a bit. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, obviously, if you can pinpoint this, and then you can focus and put sort of things in motion from people who are trainee trained up in this and they can go actually no you need to focus on this as well yes but have more of a specific targeted thing to do 100 percent, yeah yes and i remember i mean i went into kind of a, a six weeks or a therapy course for for um lots of reasons and um none of that ever came up it was always did it never came up that I couldn't recognise other people's feelings or, or what was going on. And when I look back on it, I can realise now, actually, that was a lot of the problems that I had trying to get back into the real world was that I was trying to negotiate a landscape which in my mind had been kind of totally destroyed. And I was having to refigure it again. Oh, my God, I wish I'd known this earlier. <laughs> I think somebody could have concentrated on it more. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like I, th I think that, understandably, a lot of sort of brain injury recovery is focused on the self, um, whereas 
you're not isolated or even if you feel isolated, you're not isolated. Um, and that's why I think headway was such a massive thing was because I ended up socializing with people who had similar, similar brain injuries, similar experiences. And so I felt for the first time that I could talk to them and they knew exactly what I was talking about. Even if I just said, I'm having a bad day and they're like, Oh, well, yeah, tell me about it. Um, whereas (laughs) with people who are, let's say, not brainily challenged, (laughs) um, are sort of like, couldn't quite understand that experience as well. So how many people did you get involved in? How many participants were in this study that you did then? So I had 34 participants, 17 who'd had a moderate severe brain injury and 17 who had had no brain injury. Right. Okay. So what kind of questions? Did you ask them? Did you interview them? Did you kind of do cognitive, emotional experiments with them? Yeah, so it was all um, online because it was during the pandemic. Oh, of course it was, yeah. So, yeah, so um, I met with people on Zoom or a similar software, and it was mainly sort of tests. Um, so I, I did something called an emotion evaluation test, which assessed how they could recognise emotions from video clips of people expressing right. an emotion. Right. And then the other tests were more how quickly you can process information, like a key with... Um, symbols and numbers which you had to match right or like puzzles and you had to say which picture would come next in a series of information right so it sounds sort of similar to something that was done in headway very briefly um every sort of six months or so and they would give you a what animal is this so they they'd put a picture of a it would be a drawing of a giraffe, a gorilla, something like that. And then they'd be <laughs> yes. like, oh, follow the, um, the, the curly lines. So there'd be a one and a two. And it'd be like a, a, a string that you'd have to follow to the end and things like that. So they had little bits of those, but it didn't feel like they, they were really assessing some. And I remember there was um, a cube that you had to draw, which was sort of like... Um, not invisible, but a uh, an like a. Oh, it was just a frame. It was like a cage, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that and one. Yeah, I used to always mess that up because my brain. I, I was <laughs> like, oh yeah, I usually do this, but my brain was just like, nope. <laughs> so yeah. So, um, how did you find all these people in the first place? These these thirty four people. How did they volunteer? Did you go out and? randomly pick people in the street so um for people i was targeting for the people who'd experienced a brain injury i um got in touch with the brain injury rehabilitation trust right um, which is like an organization which it's separate to the nhs but people they do take people from the nhs as well right um to help after a brain injury um but unfortunately i wasn't able to recruit anyone from them so then I went into the lovely charity sector, people like Headway, the Encephalitis Society, the Stroke Association, who were really, really helpful, really supportive of any research. And it was through like social media and contacting individual branches that I got those participants. Amazing. Wow. 
Well, it's, it's, I'm, I'm glad that there are people around who are kind of willing to go into all of this because I think we're great fans of research bit. In fact, on our opening of our podcast, we always say, investigate what's new in brain injury research. And we're always yes. casting. And you're the first person actually who's, who's, we've had on the podcast actually talking about real research. So we, this is a bit of a oh, coup for right. us because, uh, we, yeah, we just want to... No, because we, we think that, that, that there doesn't seem to be an, enough of it. Uh, by a long yeah. way and and because uh, when we started casting around to kind of find out about our own conditions we thought well there must be a ton of stuff out here and 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 there wasn't there was nothing and it was like and we weren't given an awful lot of information from anybody to be honest we just ended up back at home just sitting in a chair thinking my god what's going to happen with the rest of our lives without actually realizing that in the very very deep background in a very small way people like yourself are doing little sort of incremental changes to the to the yeah. research so uh, we're very grateful for that Manny thank you very much <laughs> no I'm very grateful to be able to talk about it so thank you yes it's good out. so the the results are that the human brain in its unbrain damaged state has a different kind of module of it that recognises emotion in other people. Is that what, what you would say your conclusion is? Um, yeah, I found that there was no relationship between the emotion recognition ability and the general cognitive ability to help quickly process information and problem solving. Right. Um, but I, because there was no like um, neuro anatomy or you know scans or anything i can't particularly say it's a separate area of the brain but that they're unrelated processes right so i could lose other parts of my brain no i could yeah. keep other parts of the brain but that part of my brain whether it's a network or a module or a nodule or whatever they call them that might have been shot to pieces yeah yeah. But everything else okay. might appear to be, oh, he seems to be able to process information fine, so why is, why is everything else not working? Because the emotion side's gone. Well, that is, is that, you're saying that really, aren't you? That there, yeah, is it possible think, to have those two things separate? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit difficult because I found in my research that there was actually no difference in ability to recognise emotions between people with a brain injury and people without a brain injury. Right. So I couldn't do my full statistical analysis of how much of a difference account was right. accounted for by the general cognitive ability because right. there was no difference. So my analysis was a bit limited in that I can only mm. say that there was no correlation. Um, right. No you see, for, for you, this is kind of like a deep, granular thing of statistics. But for, for us, that this is much more, um, what's the word? It's, it's the simple idea, I think, for us, yeah. is, is that, because I can see you've gone very deep into this, in you know, in, in ways that we yes. couldn't possibly understand, because it's an academic research. But for us, it's, it's kind of much more bald than that. But the thing is, we do recognise, I think, all the things that you're talking about. Mm. So oh, yeah. We, yeah, so it's kind of slightly weird. But was there any unexpected outcomes out of this? Did you go into this thinking, I think I'm going to find this? Or did you find out it wasn't it wasn't like you thought it was? Or did you have no preconceptions? 
I guess, yeah, like something I've learned from research is to not go in with preconceptions because you just <laughs> never know what's going to happen. Um, but I guess I was expecting there to be a difference in emotion recognition ability between those with a brain injury and without a brain injury um, because of what I'd read in the literature. But I think um, because of the way I recruited, um, it was people who'd, it was like an average of nine years since the brain injury. Right. So I think there had been some potential recovery of those sorts of abilities. Um, So... It would be good to repeat the research again with people sort of at the start of their recovery. Oh, yeah, yeah. If, just... if it's more pronounced then. Well, yeah, because you do definitely, even if it's like you fake fake it till you make it almost, you go, well, this, is, <laughs> this, is, this person's angry, so therefore whenever I see that emotion or, or I see someone like that, I know that they're going to be angry and therefore that's sort of how I guess how you learn when you're a baby like you realize you ha- you know little bits of things and you can pick things up and then eventually you fully grown adult and you know but I guess that you have to, it's almost like you learn that you start again um potentially with a brain injury or a stroke yes I think that's that starting from the beginning is, is kind of the key, isn't it? For, well, for us it was, I think. Yeah. For other people, a bit later on, you might not be so bad, but even nine years on, I mean, some people we've met are, have terrible situations even even then. How did you ever get into this? Who, who, who organises all this research? I mean, apart from you. Are you in an environment where they're just doing brain research all the time, or...? How does that work? So, so I um, completed the research as part of my um, doctorate in clinical psychology. So okay. I was training to be... Deeply impressed be already, by the way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> training to be a clinical psychologist. So as part of that, you have to undertake a thesis. Right. So there's um, tutors in the department who all have their different specialities. Right. Um, I was interested in neuropsychology because I'd done an internship with the Encephalitis Society All right. a few years okay. ago um, and was just amazed at the work they were doing. And I think the fact that brain injury is indiscriminate, I think, just yeah. really pulls yeah, me to yeah. it. It can affect anyone and yeah. I want to be able to contribute. Um, so I picked a tutor who was a neuropsychologist and he started um, sort of snowballing ideas with me about a possible project. And this is at university? Yes, University of Hull. So you're the University of Hull doing this major league thing with brains because that's what they do. They, they got Do they have a separate department? No, it's just in the clinical psychology department, but then you can approach supervisors who are also in the field elsewhere so I had an, another supervisor who was really interested in brain injury research who was sort of located in Leeds area. Okay. So there's a kind of loose network of people who have these interests rather than... Is there a central government-funded thing where they fund research into brain injuries? Or do, do um, they rely on people like you just to say, I think I'd like to do that? Not sure I can completely answer that question to us. I'm sure there would be, but for me, it was just funded by the university as part of right. my training. Right, right. 
a quick question then. How does the um, research that you do impact on the general knowledge about how the brain works? So I think my research supports the idea that emotion recognition is its own ability in that it's not related to other more general cognitive abilities. Right. And I think the, the sort of take home from that is that we should be assessing for this after a brain injury and more generally our understanding of the social world um, because it is something separate that we are missing from typical yes. neuropsychological assessments. Yes. So how, how would that assessment be done, do you think? Given that somebody has a brain injury, they're in hospital, they're about to be released, what kind, and we all get assessed in, you know, not very well, yeah, I have to say, but we do get an assessment. But how would that part of the assessment be, be, be undertaken, do you think? So there are tests that do actually exist that capture this information. So right. um, the test I used as part of my study was from a battery called the Awareness of Social Inference Test. Um, Whoa, okay. The, the, say that again very slowly. The Awareness of Social Inference Test. Okay. okay. Yeah. Right. So and what, is, what does that exactly mean? So it means, I guess, like um, how we understand the social world around us and the given, like, understanding social cues and the context right. to get a, a bigger picture. Um, so the thing is, these tests do exist, but there's just limited research about their utility, which is another reason why I wanted to right. um, assess it to sort of see whether it would be. So these useful. tests exist for people who have no brain injuries. They're just to generally work out how their emotional calibration is. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, yeah. but you can use the same test on people who've who've got a brain injury, and then find out what the differences are. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Okay. So I think it is really, really good that uh, people like you are trying to find a connection between the social and cognitive functions of the brain. Um, because, you know, when I had my stroke and I had a lot of issues, which I've, I've gone through many times, um, it definitely would have made me focus much more on my social and emotional cognitive abilities, which I wouldn't have necessarily known that I had. Yes, I, I think the very important one is that other people like your family and your carers and the, the people who are, end up having to cope with you, especially in the early days, um, <laughs> It would be amazing if if they had a kind of test like that or the result of your test, because yeah. if if they were told, well, you know, there's going to be a lot of problems because they can say you've got a lot of problems walking, but they can see yeah. that or your face is yeah. dropped and you can see that. But if you said to them and they're going to have a lot of problems emotionally, because I yeah. used to swear a lot and, you know, I had no emotional filters and all the rest of the yeah. stuff that you usually get. But in fact, that was me venting out with no filters but what nobody told me and nobody told my family was i had no filters of it coming in so what i was taking in was non-recognition of anything and i think my family and my friends would have probably 
got more, would have understood more about my situation if they'd known that. Yeah. Because then they could have, and, and there was a proper benchmark way of doing it because they could have said, well, okay, out of 10, he's only scoring five on emotion recognition. So it's not going to be surprising if he falls apart every now and then. Like, yeah. Yeah. And doesn't understand what's going on and doesn't understand people no. and, you know. And, and that's the thing. It might not be very useful for the actual person who is the victim of the brain damage themselves. But I think that definitely having that knowledge and giving it to the family members would really sort of help. And then God, you, yeah. when you're feeling better, you can then look back and go, well, OK, I can see all that now from where I was. Yes. God, when I look back on it, if I'd have known this before, and I look back on some of the situations I found myself in, or not realising what was going on around me, and think, well, actually, that part of my brain was completely blown like everything else. Because it was a separate part of the brain, and I didn't realise that, I think that's quite amazing, really. I wish I'd, I wish, so wish I'd known that before. God, you should have started yes. earlier, Maria. We should have started a couple of... <laughs> that's the thing. That's why we have this podcast, because it's important for people to hear about this and to know that this thing exists, because a lot of people, like, we didn't know it happened or was happening yeah. um, at all. So, you know, if we can help other people sort of not have to go through what we've had to go through as badly, um, yes. then that's a good job in my mind. Because what we're finding, finding, I think, is that a lot of stuff is, um, I mean, I have to see your typical example of, of it as well, because you use a lot of jargon. And I understand that because you're an academic and, yes. and, and I wouldn't expect you to do anything else. But by the time it comes to us in various filtered forms, it take one, it takes an awful long time for stuff that you found out to eventually get to the stroke population. I can tell you now, it'll take five years before anybody else finds out about this, which is why we want to kind of interrupt that and kind of take it straight to people and say, this was found out only last week or last year, you know, uh, rather than 10 years ago, because um, people need to know this stuff. And it's, there's kind of no mechanism where you can fast track what you're doing to people like us, as far as I can see. So what's your understanding of the big picture of brain research? Is there a whole community of researchers like yourself steadily working away like a ship at sea you know forging on or is it much more patchy than that um there's definitely some big names in the um brain injury research world so um in social cognition which i'm interested in how we understand the social world um sky mcdonald's a big figure and she's actually the one who created that the awareness of social inference test. Right. And she's she's working really hard behind the scenes to get to get it noticed really. Understood. Um, and bring bring our bring our attention towards that. So how long before that emotion test gets into the NHS and gets used? Well, that's the magic question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, but that's what we're asking asking, I suppose, really. In other words, when is your results going to actually filter yeah. into a real world kind of activity? Well, yeah, I'm hoping to get the paper published soon, so get the research. Oh yes, you're there. still at that stage. You Yeah, so And how long does it take to get published then? Um, it depends how how 
much comments the editors have and um so a, a few months or so i just need to put the hard work in <laughs> so you've still got more work to go uh well the, the paper's finished it's just a case of editing it for a journal now right so. oh right and which, which journal do you hope to get it published in um i was looking at the clinical neuropsychologist okay well you need to send us a copy Okay, yes. we'll send you an address yeah. and you can send that to us and we can, uh, with, with a very good kind of, what's that bit at the beginning, the executive su summary? On our Instagram or anything like that, if you're up, if you're, if you allow us, we can promote that. Oh yeah, no, we'll, oh. we'll, we'll, we'll yeah, it, it, it'll be off to a flying start, I can tell you, when, when yeah, we do pose, yeah, we're, look, we're looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but after you've done this bit of research... Presumably yeah. you're going to stay in the field, hopefully, and research more brain stuff. So what's your next project? Like to. Yeah, I would definitely like to. I think, as I said before, it would be really good to repeat the research, but with um, looking at people at the start of yeah. yes. sort of recovery, and then also maybe doing it a bit longitudinally to see, to confirm whether it does actually improve with time. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, or, yeah. Yeah. So do it, for example, like six months in to their recovery and then like five years in um, yeah. to compare them. So, yeah. God, okay. yeah, that would be fascinating, sounds, actually. Yeah. Because yeah. it must be very difficult to try and organise that. Um, but, I mean, I know that I would have been up for it if that was happening when I first sort of came got to headway basically and sort yes. of was recovering yeah I think another challenge was that because I had to do it online so people yes. who were still in the early days of recovery that might have been a bit too challenging and things so yeah it was um yes yeah, yeah, so, so, so does change the dynamic ever so slightly mm. doesn't it but on the other yeah. hand, it's still a constant, isn't it? If everybody's on Zoom, then the differences are only one way. Marginal. Marginal is the word I'm looking for. To actually get a, a whole research project on the go and the amount of time you have to spend kind of pitching the idea and then getting the funding and then getting the organisation to back it is as a proportion of your time and energy and effort seems to be far greater than it really needs to be. I think we definitely should be doing more, though, and isn't something we should stay silent about. I think brain injury research needs more attraction, more attention, more funding. Okay, well, that's we... the thing. It affects so many people. Oh, God, yeah. A different topic. How did you get involved in all of this? Is there a personal reason you decided to, to go into brain injury research? Because of all the things you could possibly do in the world, it's kind of yeah. an interesting yeah. tangent, let's put it. Yeah, I think, well, I guess, like, um, my dad had cancer when I was younger and he had a brain tumour. So I saw okay. him sort of change a bit and struggle with some things. So I'm sorry to hear that. I was, yeah, yeah. Um, and the brain's just always, like, fascinated me. Like, Ooh. it's the fundamentals of who we are and... Um, to be able to understand that more and contribute to that field um, was just something 
that I was really interested in doing. Yeah, we know so little about it, so relatively. Yes, absolutely. Um, who do you think you're doing actually doing the research for? Do you think you're in the brain injury community? Do you feel part of that community, or do you feel you're kind of slightly outside of that, kind of observing it? Yeah, I think I, I can't possibly understand sort of what, what you've both been through, but I think through doing the research, like I spent quite a bit of time, I, like I went to the local headway in Hull and I right. visited some charities. Like I really did try and meet people and speak to them about what had happened in their stories and um, it was the most enjoyable part of the research for me, actually getting to put faces yes. to names and hear about what people had gone through and just seeing how open they were and so willing to, to take part in the research and really motivated to, to contribute was so sort of heartwarming and I felt really special to be able to be part of that. That's wonderful. But yes, it, it makes a difference when you're just talking about client A compared mm. to an actual person. And, and that's the thing, I think that we, because so many people don't ask questions about because people go, oh, well, they had some, a brain injury, they had a stroke. Um, well, that's in the past. We don't, want to, we don't want to bring it up in case it offends them or upsets them. And we're like, actually, no, we, we, it's, it's your, you who will be upset. It's you who will be sort of offended on our behalf. We want to talk about <laughs> yes. it. We want to talk about that. And that, well, at least that's my take on it. Um, and it's just... We, we enjoy talking about that. That's why we, we started this podcast, because we wanted to talk about our own issues and what we've experienced and also find, help help other people as well. So, yes. So that's really... I think important. in our minds, we understand that, that actually people who've had brain injuries don't necessarily don't like talking about it. They're nervous about talking about it, but if you put us all in a room, we'll talk the cows come yeah. on. But I think... Um, we want people to know about stuff and collectively we have an awful lot of knowledge about how the brain doesn't work yeah. and there's so many of us I mean the, 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 I think it's what, one and a half million people yeah it's like well it's like 150,000 people a year get a brain injury yeah. or a stroke and there's about three million I think three million altogether and collectively we've got so much knowledge because every brain injury is different, but every brain injury has certain similarities, which you find yeah. out pretty quick. And um, collectively, our kind of lived experience of it, not an academic thing at all, we know so much, but we don't know how to get it out there, which is why we started yeah. the podcast, because we think, you know, talking about it is good. Yes. <laughs> That's why we keep badgering people like you, you see, man. <laughs> No, it's great. I think it's a great platform to get your voices out there and so people can relate and have a have something that they can, you know, connect with and hear about what's happening, yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing as well, it's just it's not just the people who've experienced the brain damage themselves. It's all the other people who the carers, the helpers, the family members, because they they see firsthand how you've changed, how you have struggled, how have you have done all these things. And it might be that five years on, like, things are okay. So, for example, with my family, it's like, they go, oh, God, he's almost back. But it's not <laughs> yes. the same. 
And the interesting thing is that we can ex we can explain how we feel, but you can explain why that happens, why we yeah. feel like that. And I think that's where the important sort of we're close, trying to close the gap between the people who can explain why it happens and how it happens and what's the, the kind of neurological benchmarks you can do. And then people who ask who just talk about it generally because we can only explain what we feel without actually knowing why we feel it. But then it makes an awful lot of difference when you find out why and how. Yeah. It's a huge tool for us because if you don't know what's actually going on there's no way you can solve it whereas if you actually think oh, oh actually that's the reason it's going like that now we can come up with an idea to combat that it means re rehabilitation happens a lot faster if you're aware of that has your brain injury affected your ability to recognize other people's emotions it's an aspect of brain injury that's new to us but it could explain some awkward social interactions. And as interestingly, do other people recognize your inability to recognize their emotions? Our thanks to Madeline Hurd for sharing her research with us. It will hopefully be published later this year in The Clinical Neuropsychologist, a specialist journal. We hope she can carry on with her research and wish her success with her next endeavors. If you find an opportunity to take part in a brain injury research project, do it. Get involved. Let your experience help others. And if you're conducting brain injury research and you'd like to talk with us about it, we'd love to hear from you. Email us on whatmemory2 at hotmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-M-E-M-O-R-Y followed by the numeral 2 at hotmail.com. And check us out on Instagram at what underscore memory2. What Memory is our personal podcast. Any views expressed are purely our own or the personal views of our guests. We're not expressing the views of any organisation or business. Big thanks to our amazing sound producer and fellow brain injury survivor, Jamie Rutherford. OK, we're done. The only thing we know for sure after brain injury is that the future is unknown and daunting. But it's only going to be brighter if we plan for it to be that way. Bye for now. <laughs>